0: your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, book of Matthew, chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verse number 4 this morning, a couple of weeks ago we started a series uh, uh, based upon the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, this week we're on our third message, we may have to break away from our series when Christmas is uh, approaching us, we'll, we'll be back, we'll come back, it'll take several months for us to go through these, uh, this Sermon on the Mount. A mile, I walked a mile with pleasure, she chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and there a narrow word she said. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Uh, is it possible that we can learn something from sorrow? Uh, is it possible for God to use our sorrow, our times of mourning, and, and turn them around to a blessing? Well, let's take a look at our text this morning, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 4. Let's all stand for those who are physically able, stand for the reading of the Word of God, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let us pray. If you have me, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've brought here today. And thank you for all the blessings that you have given us. And dear Lord, I pray that you would just be with all those that are on our hearts and minds, people who are hurting, people who are mourning, dear Lord. And pray, pray, dear Lord, that you would just comfort them. And I pray that you would help us to understand that these times, these seasons of life, are, are, are better to, to, to help us and to... And to know that you are there to comfort us is such a blessing, dear Lord. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love and for your mercy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. forgot to mention a special first-time visitor that's here today for the very first time. In fact, it's the first time that he's been in church in his life. Little Nehemiah is here, uh, back in the back, from the Velasco family. And, uh, first time in in church at all, and so we're glad to have him here. He's he's probably a little over a month old now, isn't he? He's, how old is he now? Six weeks, six weeks old. So we're glad to have Nehemiah with us in our services. He's gonna be a wall builder, according to the Bible. He's built, uh, that's what Nehemiah did, he built walls, and so we'll see how that turns out, but uh, we're glad to have him. Also, the rest of the first-time guests we've had here today, we're certainly delighted to have you. Um, You can tell a lot about a person's character by what they laugh at. Um, You know, if there's someone that laughs about crude and filthy jokes, it, it says something about their character. You can also tell a lot about someone's character by what they mourn about what brings them to tears uh I, i'm glad we don't have anyone here that would would mourn over something as silly and frivolous as a as a football game <laughs> I, I, i'm i'm glad we're not you know you know that shallow that we would try cry tears but anyway uh uh what do we laugh about? What what do you mourn about? Listen, there's nothing wrong with laughing uh, and, and having a great time. I want you to understand, we have a good time here, and, and I hope that you have a good time. There's nothing wrong with having a great time. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 17, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Uh, to, to, to laugh, to have joy and, and um. Uh, you know, my wife sometimes ODs on that medicine. <laughs> some, some of you who know her know what I'm talking about. I mean, she knows how to tell a story that will have you rolling in the floor. Uh, you know, uh, Laughter is good. There's nothing wrong with laughter. Neither is there anything wrong with mourning. The Bible says about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53, he is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. I believe we can never be the kind of Christian that God wants us to be if there is never any sorrow in our lives. Really, the life of a Christian should be, in some ways, be a life of constant mourning. A life of constant mourning over sin that's in their lives and may be around them. Uh, The world would never say what Jesus said in our text this morning. Jesus said, blessed are they. We talked last week about what that means. Blessed. They are happy. They are accepted. They are confirmed by God who are continually mourning. And, And the world would never say that. The world would say, blessed is the man that never experiences sorrow. Blessed is the man who never has to grieve. Jesus shocked the religious world at that time when he said, Blessed are they that mourn. Today we're going to ask the question, Where are the mourners? Where are the mourners? It's the title of my message this morning. There was a time in churches that they had a mourner's bench in the front. Uh, people would be convicted of their sins and, and their lives and they would come and kneel down and to God and, and, and ask God to forgive them and their tears would flow. They would pray for their loved ones that they might be saved. And they, they, they might get right with God. We live in a day today when people don't weep in church anymore. We have... Some tissue boxes up here in the front, and I venture to say they're probably the same ones that were here when I came here. Uh, they, they, people don't don't weep, don't mourn. We're surrounded by a world that's going to hell. Our families have issues that, that need intervention from God, and we stay in our places as if... Uh, God is aware of the problem and He will get around to helping us when He gets good and ready. Something's wrong with that. We have sin in our lives that we hope that one day we'll get control over and think that God, I, 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 I sure wish you would help me, but we never pour our heart out to Him and confess our sins before Him. Something wrong with that. We come here week after week unmoved by conviction. There's something wrong with that. We need to have times in our life where we lay everything out before the Lord, confess sins, ask for wisdom about situations, pray intercessory prayers for others, and mourn about the state of our lives. There's two main ideas we're going to talk about this morning. first is going to be, Blessed are they that mourn. The Bible uses about nine different words, verbs, that are used to speak of mourning, of uh, grief and sorrow. We can see uh, from, the, from, from that that there is not one word that can adequately dis- express pain, sorrow, and grief in our lives. There are nine different words that speak of crying. What did Jesus mean when he talked about mourning? Well, first of all, there, there. I want us to see that there is a, what is called a natural mourning. Uh, it, it, it's a uh, a natural mourning applies to both the saved and the lost. Uh, it may come to an elderly saint in the church. It may come in the life of a teenager who knows the Lord. It's a natural mourning. The Bible tells of of great men of faith that had periods of mourning. Uh, and and weeping. Abraham, the father of the children of Israel, a great man of faith. The Bible says when his wife Sarah died, he mourned for Sarah. And he wept for her. When one of your loved ones dies, it's okay to cry. It's natural. It's healthy. Uh, it, It would be unnatural if you didn't cry. But when our saved ones go on to heaven, we do have the assurance that that we sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. We will cry, but we have this knowledge that our loved ones are with the Lord. We've talked about some of that. This is Lorraine's husband. uh, The pastor of Valerie and and, uh, Tyler. Uh, these two boys, young last week. It hurts when they leave us. We have comfort in knowing that they're better off, more so than someone that we don't know where they are when they die. Well, Abraham wept when Sarah died. Can you imagine the scene? They have been together and through so much in their lives. They survived an affair. They survived uh, uh, Abraham having a child out of wedlock. They survived moving from one place to the other constantly. They, they, they not, never really having a place that they can call home. Now Sarah is dead. And Abraham weeps over the bride of his youth. And then there is David. David wept over family problems. David had a son named Absalom. Absalom rebelled against King David. Absalom tried to take the kingdom away from David. David had to run from him in the middle of the night to flee the palace. David's military man, when they confronted Absalom, David told them to deal gently with the young man. Deal kindly with him. Absalom got his head caught in an oak tree as a mule ran through the forest. The army of David killed him. Word got back to David that his son had died. He, he wept. He wept. He wept over the turmoil in his family. He wept over the rebellion in the heart of his son. He wept over the loss of his son. Have you been there? Have you wept over problems in your family? David did. Abraham wept for his wife when, he, when she died. and David wept for uh, his rebellious son. And then in the New Testament, we have Paul as he makes his way back to Jerusalem for the last time. He passes by Ephesus and ends up just to the south of Ephesus. But he sends for the men, the elders of the church at Ephesus. He loved them. He had poured his life into them, and he, taught, he had taught them. And as he said goodbye to them, they wept sore. In Acts chapter 20, and verse 37, it says, And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. Sometimes when we are separated from people that you love, it will bring tears. It's natural. There's nothing wrong with this kind of mourning. When you are separated from loved ones, there's nothing wrong with mourning that. When you have family issues, there's nothing wrong with mourning uh, those, it, those problems. Uh, when you have a death in your circle of friends or family, uh, there's nothing wrong with mourning during these times. And I'm glad that God gave us a release of sorrow through tears. Mourning builds up pressure in the heart of a person. And the tears releases that pressure. Releases that sorrow, that that pressure. You've got to let it out. One thing that makes us human is the fact that all of us, either publicly or privately, have shed tears. It's a natural sorrow, natural mourning. And then there's the unnatural mourning. It's it's when we grieve and instead of healing the wound, it takes the wound deeper. It's it's when we grieve and instead of drawing closer to God, it takes us further from God. Uh, People who have this unnatural grief many times can make themselves physically sick. This grief may come from several different things. It may come from fear. child leaves home and goes to college for the first time. Parents grieve. parent may grieve over that child that's away from home. And it, 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 it may be from selfishness. Have you ever wanted something and didn't get it? I, I mean, you thought you deserved it. You thought you earned it. You thought that you should have it and you didn't get it. You grieve over that situation. Well, maybe you grieve out of guilt. Maybe you've made a mess of your life. You've made bad decisions. You've taken a wrong fork in in the road. You've gone the wrong direction. You've taken the wrong job. You you go after the wrong degree. You marry the wrong person. You've made poor choices and we grieve over that. Some people make an excuse for past decisions and, and make an excuse for the rest of their lives. It doesn't have to be that way. You could put your past failures under the blood of Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness. You don't have to weep over your past. You could be set free. You could be set free. The third type of mourning this morning is there is a natural mourning, there's an unnatural mourning, and then there's a supernatural mourning. This is the type of mourning that is in our text here this morning. Blessed are they that mourn. That what, there are two things that we want to see with this word mourn. First, it, it, it means it, to be vocal in your sorrow. It's audible when you hear someone mourn and uh, they, they, they wail, they cry because of their sorrow. And the second thing is they continually mourn. uh, mourn. Uh, It says, blessed are they that mourn. It's a a present uh, uh, situation. Uh, What is it that we have to mourn? Uh, They continue to mourn. Uh, We must first of all understand last week's message. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about that last week. These two are linked together. Only when you understand uh, poor in spirit will you understand blessed are they that mourn. You have to be broken over your sin. You you have to see yourself as bankrupt before God because of your sin. You, You are a pauper before God. You have nothing to offer and are powerless to do anything about it. Poverty of spirit is something that takes place in the mind. Mourning is our emotional response to our poverty in spirit. When you realize that you are bankrupt before God, it results in mourning. Are you willing to come to God with that in your mind? Lord, I have nothing to offer. I am nothing. Till you come to that understanding you will never enter the kingdom of God. Tanya saying about the king this morning. Oh the king king. That's the one I want to see one day. That's the one I want to be with. That's one that, that's some of the people that we know that were in this earth not very long ago are with them now. Two, you can say, God, I am poor, I am pauper in your sight. You will, never, uh, you will never mourn over your sin. You will never turn from your sin and to God. You've got to see yourself as God sees you. And God sees you as spiritually bankrupt. There are one of four ways you can respond to your spiritual bankruptcy. Well, first of all, you can deny it. You can say, I, I'm not a sinner. But that was the response of the Pharisees of that day. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. They didn't have any reason to mourn. When it comes to morals, uh, we're not poor is what they said. Uh, when it comes to spiritual issues, we have, we're we not poor. And, and they deny that they had a need. There are millions around us that don't see the need. They don't get saved because they think that they're good enough. Well, the second thing you can do is you can admit it and try to change it yourself. I understand I have problems. I don't measure up. I get it. But I don't need God. I don't need the church. I can fix myself. Is the response? I don't need Jesus to do anything for me. I can fix myself. This is what I'll do. Well, I'll join the church. I'll, I'll be baptized. I'll, I'll take the Lord's supper. I'll, I'll give more money. I'll fix myself. Listen, you can't fix yourself. You can't fix yourself. Admit today that you are bankrupt. Accept that your need that you can't fix yourself. You can admit it. And be distraught that there is nothing that you can do about it is the third thing that you can respond to your bankruptcy. You can admit it and just be so overwhelmed with that admission that you just can't do anything about it. I admit that I'm bankrupt, but I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn, which direction to look. There's nothing that I can do. There's no hope. I'm doomed to go to hell and there's nothing I can do about it. People like that just give up. They just give up. But there's another way you can respond. First of all, you could admit that you are spiritually bankrupt. That you have nothing to offer God. And then run into the loving arms of our Heavenly Father. Who will receive you because of the shed blood of His only begotten Son. You know, it used to be people would become burdened for someone lost. People would pray earnestly for the lost person. And one day, that person would be drawn to church. That person would get saved. I believe until we're willing to make our way to the front, it's sincere, broken-hearted, pleased to God, we won't see the power uh, of working in our community around us. We need to become broken for those that we pray for. Be concerned about them. Say, well, I can't talk to someone about how to be saved. You have no problem talking about the weather or politics. How's that going to help them? How how is that going to benefit them? That lost person. Sports. You can talk about that. Total strangers. Well, What are we to mourn about? We need to mourn about our spiritual bankruptcy. Our own personal situation. Mourn over our sins. And mourn over the sins of our nation. Jeremiah, the prophet of God. Many times Jeremiah wept over (coughs) over the sins of Israel. He was known as the weeping prophet. He didn't weep over how he was treated by the people. He didn't weep over his own physical condition. He wept over the sins of the nation of Israel. One of the greatest tragedies of today is that we don't weep over the sins of our nation. The Bible's not recognized today as a, as a book of authority. There's other textbooks that are, are respected more so than the Bible it's regarded as a relic of of a post religious society and they look at you if you believe in the what the bible says as you're there's something wrong with you 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 don't don't have it all together in your mind everyone is doing what's right in their own sight we're killing babies we're perverting the definition of marriage Our politicians, our news anchors, our actors, our athletes are facing a day of reckoning with their sexual immorality. Everything around us is falling apart and we don't shed a tear. People are more willing to become politically active than to come to the altar and pray. To pray and to weep over the sins of our nation. easier to condemn the world than it is to weep over the world. God hasn't called us to condemn the world. He has called us to weep, to mourn over the sins of our nation. Not only did Jeremiah weep over the sins of of, of people, but Jesus wept over them as well. Matthew 23, Jesus lists a series of woes. Uh, woe unto you that shut up the kingdom of heaven. Woe unto you that put a heavy burden on the people. He continues to say woe to the Pharisees and the scribes. And then in verse number 37 he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not Jesus wept over the spiritual condition of the world of that day. He wept over the lost people who had substituted religion over himself. There's a man over in Rome, Italy, that has the ears of the entire world listening to him. And he never mentions the shed blood of Jesus Christ ever to his listening audience. The Pope, we should weep over the lies that the world has accepted in the name of religion. We should weep over the Christless religions of the world. We should also weep over uh, of sin and the lives of other believers. We should grieve our souls when other Christians fall into sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a young man who's having a moral uh, relationship with a stepmother. Paul reported how the church had allowed the sin to make them proud and arrogant. And, and they, were, they were not burdened about it. Uh, everyone knew about it and laughed it off as if it was a small thing. Paul said you should have mourned, grieved over this sin. We should weep over our sin. The sins of our nation. The sins of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've seen that Categories of mourning. Let's take quickly a look at the comfort. It's an interesting word that Jesus says in in this verse. It says they were comforted. They were comforted. It's not sympathy, it's comfort. Come. To come alongside. Fort. It's a fortress. To be fortified. A fortification. To be comforted means to be made strong. To be made Uh, strong through encouragement. When you mourn over your sin, when you mourn over the sin around you, God comes in an extraordinary way and comforts you. God comes alongside you. He encourages you. He builds you up. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, it says that, that God is the God of all comfort. No one can ever have comfort unless it comes from God. How does God comfort us? How does he do it? Well, he comforts us first of all through the scriptures. Romans 15:4 it says, "For whosoever of whatsoever things were written afore were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope." When we're broken, when we're mourning, we need the open pages of God's word. We need the scriptures. How does that work? How does the scriptures help us? God's word tells us of God's love. God's word tells us of God's grace. His word tells us of God's patience. God's long suffering. God's forgiveness. God's mercies. God's loving kindness. When we are broken, open the word of God and he will encourage and strengthen you. God uses his son. God uses Jesus to comfort our hearts. You may say, "I don't. Uh, I, I know I'm bankrupt before God. I, I know I have nothing to offer Him. I, I am broken before Him, and I'm not sure what Jesus will think about me." Well, one day during the life of Christ, uh, Jesus had a lady at His feet. She confessed her sins to the Lord, and she said, "Your sins are forgiven. You go in peace." On another occasion, Jesus came on a group they had circled a woman the men had stones they were shouting they were ready to kill her they were trying they were crying for her blood because she had been caught in the very act of adultery she was worthy of death jesus came on this crowd and says which of you that has no sin throw the first stone that statement. You could hear the thud of the rocks as they fell to the ground. Jesus bent over and wrote in the sand. He looked lovingly and tenderly into the eyes of that woman and said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. God uses the scriptures to comfort us. God uses the Son to comfort us. God uses his spirit to comfort us. Jesus Has his disciples together in the upper room. Things are going to start happening pretty quickly. He's giving them his last will and testament. He says, It is necessary that I go away, but if I go not away, then the Comforter will not come. It's not by mistake that the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. He builds us up, He strengthens us. God uses the Scriptures, God uses the Son. God uses the Spirit, and God uses the saints. Paul made a statement that he was comforted by the coming of Titus. Titus came to see Paul. Paul said, that comforted my heart. It made me strong to know that he came. God has given us the gift to encourage other people. Do you use that gift? Do you encourage others that are hurting those who are mourning. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Psalm 126 and 5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. At the end of the Bible it says, Book Revelation 21, verse 4, And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. It's going to be a day that's coming sometime in the future where He'll wipe those tears away. I asked the question this morning where are the mourners? Where are the mourners? Have we forgotten what that means to be a mourner? You may be here today. You've got things going on. Maybe no one else knows about it. Could be sin in your life, family issues, sorrow. Where are the mourners? You may be here and you've never confessed your sins before God. You've never come to Him and bowed and asked God to forgive you of your sins. To make you right in His eyes. To to get forgiveness of sin and receive salvation into your life. To mourn your sin. Maybe you need to make that decision this morning. Do you mourn like we ought to? Well, we have a long list of people we pray for. We put on on a list. What else do we do? Well, the name's on the list. God knows the list. Do we pray? Do we take these petitions before God? I hope that you will be the type of person that's willing to open up your heart. Get it out of your life. Lay it on the Lord, your burdens. That He might comfort you. Only He can do that. Only He has that power. Won't you let Him today? As we stand, and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this day. We thank You, Lord, for all that You do for us. And thank You for the comfort that comes from You. Oh, think of the times that we've received that comfort. and How, how much it was needed and how much we uh, were just hurting. And, and You brought comfort. You our times of sorrow, times of loss, times of disappointment. Times of heartache. Lord, we know that you know how to comfort. Because we've experienced it. Dear Lord, I pray if there's someone here today that's never experienced the comforting of God, that they'll receive it today. Pray, dear Lord, that you would just help us to pour all, all our burdens upon you. The God of comfort. That we might... Be comforted. Thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. Thank you for this message. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.